This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, yeah. get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath, and I am joined by my friend and co host, Judy Cho. And today we want to talk about what is a carnivore diet? Like the definition of it, what exactly is it, and what does it mean? I think also, too, you know, there are a lot of different variations of a carnivore diet. It's an interesting thing because if somebody says, I'm doing keto, you immediately know. That they're doing a very specific type of ratios. They're doing less than 20 grams of net carbs, usually. Like keto has a very specific definition. And maybe three or four years ago, carnivore did too, but it's kind of evolved into like everybody has their own version of carnivore, which makes it interesting. And it means so many different things based on, you know, who you are and what you're looking for. And I think that like what is a carnivore diet has gotten a little muddy. And so, I think Judy and I just want to talk through today what is a carnivore diet? Like, what's the definition of it? How we define it? And then, really, like all the different versions of it. Like, what is, you know, what are all the different variations that people are doing? And how would we define those as well? Yeah. And it's, it's hard because several years ago, when Paul Saladino was saying meat and fruit is carnivore. I, I took a stand and said, that isn't carnivore. And then I was defined as dogmatic. And I don't think I'm dogmatic, but I do think terminologies matter. It's sort of how we have changed the words on some of the medical and pandemic y stuff that has happened. We've literally changed the definition of words. We use words to essentially understand each other and communicate.、Yeah. And when we start changing definitions of diets, of what's tried and true and that has worked, that's when things get muddy. And I'm okay if people don't eat just animal based foods, but we have to be careful when someone's a beginner, because as a beginner, it becomes really confusing if we start muddying up that definition. And I think that's a good distinction. There's a, there's a difference between being dogmatic about something. Versus just understanding what the definition of it is. And this all kind of stemmed from I got several people that sent me an Instagram post of somebody who like posted their meals, like somebody who claims to be carnivore. And they were like, this person's not carnivore because look, they're eating these foods that are not carnivore. And like, I'm outraged that they're calling themselves carnivore or even myself. I eat spices. And so my YouTube videos, I'll get comments of people telling me like, you eat at fast food restaurants and you eat spices, like you're not carnivore. And I think that's where, you know, I'm like pro, do whatever works for you, but there still should be an understanding of like what is the definition of carnivore. And it's just gotten a little crazy over the last year, especially. Yeah. I mean, the reason I took a stand with the whole meat plus fruit is carnivore is because for my 
very unwell clients, the subset that are very sick, that have severe autoimmune, that can't even work, and they're on disability. If I told them that carnivore was meat and fruit, they would have never moved the needle enough with the carnivore diet and got better. And so for those people, I took a stand because I honestly think in a perfect world, if we were to be super specific, I think everyone should try a carnivore diet with zero carbs for a while just to get a semblance of getting back to understanding what their biofeedback from their body is. So understanding symptomology, oh, if I eat only meat, this is where my level of energy is. This is where my mental clarity is. This is how I'm healing. This is how my gut health is. And then once you finally get into a rhythm, if you want to add back spices, you want to add back some plants. If you still do that and you eat mostly meat, I would still consider you part of the carnivore club. But generally, I still think that if you started with a very strict baseline, then you know how do these plants, how do these spices, how does XYZ affect you in your carnivore diet and in your healing? So from that perspective, I understand why some people are dogmatic because they want to save the definition of what carnivore is and how it truly brings healing. And I think you and I are both, uh, we agree upon that. Yeah. Some of the things that are called, I mean, I'm pretty loose and flexible and you and I are both open about things that we included that are not meat, but I also think understanding the definition of what is a carnivore diet is really helpful because right now it's so broad that it's just like really confusing and people are kind of doing themselves a disservice. Like you said, people start eating meat and fruit because Joe Rogan's calling it like, or a lot of these people are calling that meat-based or carnivore or whatever it is. And they're actually getting harmed um, because their blood glucose is going up and they have all these issues that are coming from it. But let's take a step back and say, so that's, that's kind of what we want to do here is then talk about like, what is carnivore in the simplest definition of it? Like kind of what would we define that as? And then we can talk about maybe getting more strict because I know people like Michaela Peterson have the lion diet, which is more strict than what basic carnivore would be. And then also kind of going into the more loose category and why and who those people might want to do, who might benefit from that. So if somebody just asked you, what's a carnivore diet, what would your answer to them be? I would say that it's anything that's part of the animal-based kingdom or animal kingdom. So it would really be anything that comes from an animal that is an animal uh, that's whether it's land or sea, it's anything that is a food product that comes from an animal. Yeah. Same. So if people ask me if like, I meet somebody at work and they're like, what's a carnivore diet? I'm like, basically if a vegan wouldn't eat it, I'll eat it. That's my (laughs) answer. (laughs) But I'm like, uh, I eat any kind of animal product is good for me. And then, um, that for me, it's like eating only animal products. So any type of meat, uh, cheese, dairy, eggs, like that's, that to me would be a carnivore diet, um, and including salt, uh, as well. What else, anything else that we're missing? No, it's, I mean, it's basically anything that comes from the animal and it's any part of the animal and then, and whether it's dairy too, or eggs, I think that's the true definition of carnivore. And then I think if you want to go stricter, I mean, the lion diet didn't exist when I started, but it's really that beef salt in um, beef salt and water. And that's how carnivore cure elimination diet starts as well. It's really just eating ruminant meats and then just salt and water. And for some people, the reason why that stricter aspect is there is because when you're just unwell, or if you have a lot of autoimmune or chronic pain or fatigue, etc. Sometimes just going down to the basics of just one type of meat, and then just trying to use that as a therapeutic tool to heal can give you so many more benefits than if you're eating, I don't know, 15 different types of uh, meats and varieties that then will muddy up maybe why you're still not healing. Yeah, the going more strict is necessary for that elimination diet factor that you mentioned to find out what foods you're reacting to, how you're, you know, I think using the carnivore cure for that is, is really helpful. And then oftentimes, like you mentioned, that's called the the lion diet in this community. Um, I think we talked about in our last episode too, that doing that strict for a temporary time, whether it's 30 days, 90 days, you know, six months is helpful just to find out how things are affecting you. But hopefully you're not having to be that strict long-term 
um, because you would ideally want to get to the root cause healing of like whatever's causing you those issues. But that's why somebody might want to go, you know, super strict on, and I would still, obviously I still consider that carnivore, um, even more strict carnivore than what a lot of people are. Most people who are what I consider carnivore, um, eat a variety of different kinds of meats. They include some or, you know, different kinds of dairy, depending on how that affects them. Um, and then I don't know too many carnivores that don't eat eggs. Um, there's a handful. There's a handful yeah. that don't eat eggs. There's a handful that don't eat dairy. So especially in my clientele. But if you're if let's say you start with the baseline of carnivore that we talked about that includes all animal products. And if you're not fully getting better, then sure, try the lion diet, try the carnivore cures elimination protocol, try all of those things. But if you're not getting better, even with those tools after a month or two of being that level of strict, it's not that you're not perfect enough. That's where I get into that nuance of, I have some clients just recently emailed me and said, am I not perfect enough in my diet? And is that why I'm not fully healing? And I don't think that's the reason. I think oftentimes it can be some underlying illness. So that's where I don't want people to think it's my fault that the diet is not working because usually our bodies have been able to eat all these processed foods and crappy foods for decades do you really think that one nuance kind of meat is the reason you're not fully healing? Like it's, it, we, we have to use our logical brain sometimes and realize it's not, it's not just that it's not that you didn't carnivore perfectly. And I see that so much. And I have to break that with a lot of my clients perspective as to why they're not healing with the carnivore, uh, lion diet, et cetera. And I think that there is this message sometimes in the community that says, if you're not a hundred percent strict, then you won't find that healing. I think that's kind of uh, the misfortune. There are a lot of people though, who do carnivore and successfully include things like coffee or, you know, some spices. I think I consider myself carnivore and I eat a huge variety of spices on a regular basis. I don't drink coffee just because I don't like it, but there's a lot of people who consider themselves strict carnivores and yet include coffee on a daily basis. Um, and so I think that those are things that once you have gotten a baseline of your health and understanding what foods affect you, they're fine to include. I didn't include spices for a really long time because I was figuring out how they were going to affect me. But the longer I do this, the more I'm aware of like which ones I need to stay away from uh, and which ones I'm able to have with no issues. Yeah, I was really, really strict zero carb carnivore for three plus years and there were times where it was really, really difficult. So we would go out, out to a restaurant and I said, oh, I can't eat or I have to fast or right. I have to eat at home. And it became kind of debilitating to live life normally. And I wasn't struggling with an autoimmune illness. Yes, I had struggled with mental illness, but I, I just got to a point where I would, and then a lot of my clients challenged me with healing, even though they weren't super strict like me. And it just made me wonder what, why am I so strict? Am I following dogma? And, um, and then I started realizing I should challenge my eating disorder and see if I can further push the envelope to see if I've healed further. If you want to be strict carnivore, that's fine and that's good. But if you feel that it's impeding on your life and maybe then you're ready to add a variety of meats and even maybe push further than that and add coffee and teas and s spices and then push further than that and actually add plants. If your body can tolerate it, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just, it's just a very slippery slope. If you, if we allow certain people to make this diet super loosey goosey, then when we have new people coming into this way of eating, they will never feel the true benefits of carnivore. But if we go super dogmatic, then long-term people that may need to look further may not look further and just blame themselves for their illness. So it's this very hard and fine balance of not being dogmatic, but not, um, but making sure that we save the true definition of what carnivore is. Yeah. And I think I like that. I think carnivore is this dial of like, let's say it's this one to 10 dial where level 10 is that meat, salt, water, like very strict in that way. And then you kind of like dial yourself down to including some lots of different meats and including some spices. And maybe you have coffee and then maybe you're eating deli meats and processed uh, sausages occasionally, and you're eating things in a restaurant fine. And then that's kind of all the way down to like level five. And then I think sometimes you have people who are like, oh, asparagus is great. It's a low fibrous vegetable. It doesn't cause sure. me bloating. I can handle it. It's not a problem. You know what? I really enjoy a piece of sugar-free gum occasionally or a piece of dark chocolate uh, on occasion. 
And then you also have people who are like, oh, I enjoy a glass of alcohol occasionally. And so then that's still, you're still all in this carnivore dial, um, but you're just kind of depending on what your health needs are and what your goals are really adjusts what that strictness is. And kind of to everything that we just mentioned there, alcohol, spices, um, vegetables, fire, you know, we've addressed all of the seed oils. If you want to, Judy and I have a whole episode where we just go on a rant about seed oils. Um, and maybe like the, some of the misconceptions that are out there right now, um, with kind of the main messages that you hear or the alcohol. So check out those if you want to hear specific stuff, yeah. but I do think there's this dial where people can kind of all still live in this carnivore world. But where I personally draw the line is when you get into things that are like eating fruit on a daily basis, like great, call yourself ketovore, call yourself meat plus fruit, bro. Like call yourself something else because that's where I don't like it confusing the carnivore space when you're including tons of honey and fruit and sweet potatoes. And like, there's a lot of different terms out there. When you look at what they're eating, it's a lot of sweet potatoes and um, tons of fruit. And I'm trying to think like, what are the other foods that people tend to eat? Some people add in white rice and then fruit. And still call themselves carnivore. And whatever diet that is, you can do that. I have no issues with you eating it. That's where there's no dogma here saying that you can't eat it. But I do say you can't eat that and call it a carnivore diet because it just makes everything confusing. Um, You can just say, I eat meat and rice and fruit. Like, enjoy what you're eating, but pick a different name for it because it's just confusing people who need actual carnivore for healing. Yes. There was an example of a website uh, we're looking at something uh, related to SEO stuff for carnivore. And then one of the websites that came up, I've never heard of the person. And then I think it was something related to lifestyle of a carnivore. And they have pretty good traction. So I thought, oh, okay, so this person is carnivore. And and then you look at the recipes and there's lots of added sugars and then there's side dishes of plants. And then um, somebody on my team went on their website and looked at their Twitter account one of their meals was steak and fries. And so this website is, t- I think they really reach the results when you're searching for beginner stuff of carnivore. And so you have yeah. to think, well, if you look at their stuff, you're going to think, oh, carnivore includes sugar as long as it's meat. Um, I guess if you eat steak and potatoes or steak and fries, it's still considered a carnivore. And that's where I think it gets confusing for people that are brand new to the carnivore diet and that are looking for healing because they've heard these amazing stories of so many, so many people that are healing on a carnivore diet. And then when they're like, well, what can I eat? And then you see posts of saying, here's what I eat in a day as a carnivore of X amount of years. And then they show foods that are not in the carnivore space or all this added sugar which is one of the crux of things that carnivore is supposed to not do is to eat added sugar, right? Then it gets confusing because you think, oh, well, this leader is telling me that I can eat those things. That's what carnivore, I guess, is. But the reality is, it isn't that. A lot of people eating carnivore are trying to reduce metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance. And so when you are saying you can add sugar to your meats and eat the sweetened barbecue ribs, well, eventually that may not heal them enough and they'll think carnivore doesn't really work. And my biggest concern is that the, what is the issue with the standard American diet? It's high fat, high sugar, and then there's like all the processed junk. Well, when you eat a carnivore diet with a bunch of sugar, whether it's fruit, whether it's ice cream, eventually you're basically eating a high fat, high carb diet. And And that's the the worst of both worlds. Yes. Yes. That's where you're going to eat, you know, you're eating all this fatty meat. Somebody was telling me the other day that they, um, they're like, I thought red meat causes heart disease. And what about causing blockages? And I was like, well, look, if you're doing lots of high red meat, like a burger patties all the time, and you're eating uh, the bun and the fries and your body's burning all that sugar for energy, and it's going to start storing all that saturated fat. But if you're eating only fat, then your body's burning that fat. And so it's like, if you're trying to do high fatty meat, plus adding in a bunch of sweet potatoes and carbs and other things like that's kind of the worst of both diets where you're not doing low fat diet, standard American diet, and you're not doing this like low carb, um, you know, carnivore diet. So unless you are somebody who's working out intensely enough to burn off all of that sugar that you're eating on a regular basis, which there are those people, look, 
I am a huge fan of Mark and Chris Bell. They are both uh, advocates for what they call carnivore. They've switched over the last few years to be doing meat and fruit. And I come, I'm a huge advocate of that. They don't even, they say they do meat and fruit diet right now. And I love that about them. They are also huge bodybuilders. They lift weights every day. They're burning off all of that fruit. They need that type of fruit. So they're not having the detriment of eating all of that fatty meat for blockages and problems in their arteries and, and all that kind of stuff. But somebody like myself, it would, that would give me a heart attack because I wouldn't be exercising enough and I don't have the muscle mass to burn all of that fruit off um, for energy. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the perfect example is also with Joe Rogan, right? So before Joe yeah. Rogan ever tried carnivore, he was relatively fit and had a lot of muscle mass. And so when he did carnivore, maybe his energy dwindled a little bit because he needed a little bit more glycogen or some, I don't know, whatever the reason why he decided to go meat and fruit. And now with meat and fruit, he feels so much better, but he never had a food addiction. He never struggled with metabolic syndrome, even before carnivore. And so for those people, it works. And I really think a lot of the people on the internet they never struggled with the metabolic syndrome. So they can talk about, yeah, eating meat and fruit is fine. But what about majority of America is obese and majority of America is sick. So when you're preaching to people like that, that's the disconnect for me of how can you recommend this when you like literally carnivore Aurelius a long time ago, when he first me and him were arguing over the meat and fruit stuff, his one of his posts was why keto doesn't work. And he had all these pictures of why keto ruins your health. And then I think it was literally the next post, he talked about how most of America is obese. And I wrote in a comment in that post of, that's exactly why you cannot share that meat and fruit works for everybody because it doesn't, because he's, I'm pretty sure, a pretty thin young man that can afford to eat fruit and not feel as bad. But there's a couple big accounts, like he's an example of somebody who has the carnivore title who they started off by being the calling themselves carnivore to get clicks, to get views because it's, it was popular at the time and it was going to get them information. And then they've transitioned away from doing the carnivore diet. And yet because carnivore is still in their name, right? Two huge ones, him and Saladino both have carnivore in their name and neither one of them do the carnivore diet. And so it's confusing a lot of people Um, And both of them are eating insane amounts of sugar. Both of them are eating insane amounts of organ meats, which I know you are saying is why they're eating a lot of fruit because they're eating so many organs. It's causing them issues. They have to include all this fruit. It's like those two specifically are kind of those, the names that they have, right. And what they advocate for do not align anymore. And I think that they're tied to those names because that's their brand, Um, you know, because they're, they're kind of considering themselves like, well, I still eat meat. So that's also making me a carnivore. But I think, you know, there's a lot of people who use the title of carnivore in YouTube videos or posts or whatever, just to get, to be picked up in the algorithm to go along with all of it, but they're not actually eating a carnivore diet. And that's where it definitely gets confusing. I get it. Carnivore Aurelius, Paul Saladino, they all have their brand and they sell products under those names with Carnivore. Um, I mean, Paul Saladino's Carnivore Code is the number one selling book in all of our community. And I hate that, honestly, because when you read but that- But he doesn't think, even stand by that anymore. He, he says added, all the time, like that's not even what he believes anymore. Oh, does he? Okay. But in his book, I, I thought, because I changed some of the graphics for his second book and he changed where- the order of toxicity of fruits was when we made the second version of his book. So I thought in his book, he kind of explains that it's okay to eat fruit, but maybe I didn't read the actual text. So I don't don't know, know, but (laughs) (laughs) well, I do know that the carnivore cookbook that he came out with that's recently includes like tons of other stuff and sweet potatoes and squash and berries and like all kinds of other stuff. And I'll say this too. There's nothing I'm, I have no, the carnivore community and the carnivore diet did not invent the word carnivore. There's a brand that I truly love that's called Hardcore Carnivore. It was started by Jess Prylis and she created a a seasoning brand and a a company called Hardcore Carnivore. That has nothing to do with the carnivore diet. Mm. She has amazing recipes online. She dispels a lot of myths about the meat industry. I love her account. I have tons of their shirts. I eat their spices constantly. I have gotten harassment from people saying like, how can you eat their spices? There's sugar in the ingredients, which is like a whole other conversation. It's like trace amounts. 
it's I'm fine with it. But she has my I have no issues with her. I support her business. I wear her shirts because it's kind of a double, you know, meaning for me where I can support her business and also be called a hardcore carnivore. The difference is she has never claimed to be representative of the carnivore community. There's a lot of barbecue channels and books and things out there that all have carnivore in the label, but they have not ever claimed to be representative of a carnivore diet. The difference with the other two people that we're talking about is they were advocates for the carnivore diet. They became, you know, pillars in it and leaders of that community and then have shifted away from it. And that's what's making it confusing. Right. And and it's frustrating because if you make this claim with them, they'll say, oh, the dogmatic carnivores exactly. are so upset. That's so true. They get so upset of, gosh, live a little. Who cares if I eat a little bit of fruit? You're so dogmatic. And that's not even it. That's where, as a practitioner, I genuinely get upset because they don't work with one-on-one people. Sure, I think Dr. Paul Saladino still works with one or two celebrity people that want to do carnivore, but generally he does not work with the population of carnivores that are in the community that are sick, that struggle with autoimmune. And and when you work with people like that, you cannot be loosey-goosey with the fruits and the added sugar because I'm telling you, I have clients that have listen to those recommendations and they'll have another ulcerative colitis flare just from eating fruit. And so yeah. when, when people work with people in the community, you you learn very quickly that you can't be dogmatic, but you have to also be protective of the diet that does help people or that can help people that have their same illnesses. And that's the part where I try to hold on to the definition of carnivore, but I was defined as dogmatic, right? I was like, oh, you're dogmatic who cares if he eats a little bit of fruit? And then I get applauded, honestly, if I share a little bit of fruit in my kid's meal. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like, I, I used to get uh, crapped on for sharing fruit. And now once in a while, if my kids have a little bit of fruit, people applaud me as if I'm being open. And it's it had nothing to do with that. It was just, you know, Aiden really likes bananas for some reason right now. <laughs> yeah, it's such a balance. Like, I, and this is, I mean, this is a side note about the kids. You just made me think of it, but it's like, if I share that my kids have other foods, sometimes the carnivore community actually comes at me. Like, how dare you not, or your kids aren't eating carnivore. How can this be good for you? If you're not feeding the kids strict carnivore. And then also, you know, if I, when I post stuff on YouTube, people are like, Oh my God, you can't believe you feed your kids. This kind of feed your kids this way. You're, you know, you're, torture as somebody should call CPS or whatever, which is also why I've never made a video called like what my kids eat. Cause I certainly don't need to invite that kind of drama. Um, so I don't, I've never said my kids are carnivore mainly because I'm not going to put that out there to define and let, let that scrutiny come upon me, but also just because I respect what the definition of a carnivore diet is and they don't eat that. And so I'm trying to make it clear that, you know, they eat, we try to limit carbs and sugar is what I pretty much say just to keep it flexible. Um, but yeah, I don't, I just try to like, at least keep it clear on like what I do. Yeah. And even for me, as soon as I started saying, I add in a little bit of plants stuff, I make it clear that I, I say I was very strict carnivore and now I occasionally will have some plants if I choose to, and I'll see what else I can tolerate. But I make that very clear. I don't go, yeah, I'm carnivore. And here's a picture of my vegetables. I do not do that. Because I understand as a beginner, if you're looking at my content, and I start sharing certain things, it gets really confusing. I never say that my kids are carnivore. I say very clearly that we try to do carnivore on our kids. And it was miserable in our house. And I started getting concerned that will my kids have an eating disorder? Will they go off to college and then binge off pizzas and Uh, beer because mom didn't let them eat a bunch of junk food. So I found this balance and I make it very clear that my kids are low carb. They're keto on some days, but generally they're more low carb kids and I'm fully fine with that. But I make that distinction very clear because I do that knowingly because other moms are watching and I don't want them to think our kids are carnivore kids and things like that. When it comes to kids, so I, thanks for (laughs) bringing this up, but I I did a reel recently and honestly, (laughs) you know, I'm still in Instagram jail. So I expected nothing from this. I just wanted to share that kids are able to eat a lot of meat and that we should support children to eat more meat. So I shared that it's one of it's 
not huge compared to Laura definitions, but I mean, it did pretty well. And it made me question, okay, I, I've worked so hard on all my content for so many years. And of course, my little kid <laughs> put some crap little reel on and it does well. But, you know, I got crap from every different angle in that video. So mm-hmm. um, good for him eating meat. But why is he using a plastic fork? Why is he drinking toxic water? Why is he using a plastic um a plastic straw. Uh, why are you letting him eat meat that has seed oils or cooked in seed oils? And then the other end is, oh my gosh, this kid is going to have colon cancer. I feel so bad for like, this is child abuse. And so it was, it didn't matter if I was in the wellness space, in the carnivore space, there were obviously people that were saying, bravo, a kid should be eating meat. But there were from every which angle, there was some negative feedback. And and that's just the reality of the wellness space. I feel like these days, it's just, you can never win. You can never win no matter what you share. But I do think at the core of it, we should just at least keep the definition of carnivore, what it is so that when beginners find carnivore and the people that are listening, when you first found carnivore, was it super easy or was it very convoluted? And would you have wanted there to just be this very simple definition of carnivore? So you could have figured out how you wanted to start and then maybe consider figuring out what you wanted to add back in. Yeah, I wish there was, and there used to be a lot more very simple content back in the day. Um, And if you noticed like early on, everybody had their own version of a carnivore food pyramid. I know you had one, a lot of people got that idea and made their own versions of it. And so there was a lot of carnivore food pyramids, but they all looked very similar. I mean, they all looked like yours, but they all looked very similar back then. And now they are so different where I wish we could just have an agreed upon, this is the carnivore diet food pyramid. And then here's other versions and other dials. This is where you can turn that dial up and down. But like, this is the standard carnivore diet food pyramid. I also think that frequency matters as well. And so, you know, I'm not talking, if you're, if you're somebody who was eating a strict carnivore diet and then you had an apple one time, like, and then go back to being carnivore, like you're still carnivore. But if you're eating fruit every single day, I personally wouldn't consider that carnivore anymore. So it's not about having one thing. You know, Sean Baker is very open about the fact that he eats a carnivore diet. Nobody's arguing that Sean Baker eats carnivore. He also says like on his kid's birthday, he has a piece of cake. So the two or three times a year, he has one thing that's a treat. I very much consider him carnivore. He considers himself carnivore. I think he's big and strong enough. Nobody would tell him he's not carnivore. Okay. (laughs) But if he's having cake daily or he's having dessert daily or weekly, or the frequency is turned up to me, then that's no longer considered a carnivore diet. So it's not this dogma of like, you can't have one thing ever, um, and be considered carnivore. But I think there is an element, um, where the frequency matters. And then also to kind of piggyback on your point about the straws and forks, like a carnivore diet is what you eat. It doesn't dictate the type of filtered water you have to drink. It doesn't dictate the pan you're allowed to cook in. It doesn't dictate the, you know, the filter you have in your air for your house. Like I'm trying to think of what are the other crazy ones that people really dive in on, but the the pan that you use is is a big part of it. The oils, I do understand where they're coming from. To me, again, it's about, we've mentioned it's about frequency, but I understand people not having that, but but again, why is it something like coffee is like an acceptable thing? I'm a strict carnivore, but I drink coffee every day. Or for some reason, like bourbon's allowed or whatever, like alcohol is another huge one. People, a lot of people consider themselves strict carnivore when maybe it's a frequency thing. I don't know how I feel about that one. Um, but I'm not trying to kick anybody out of the club. I do just agree with you where I want to make it simple and under, you know, easy for somebody to learn and to get on board with in the first place. For the betterment of the community and the people that want to join and that are carnivore curious, we just have to have a true definition of carnivore where it's just animal products, period. Otherwise it's, when when we say it's carnivore-ish or I'm 90% carnivore, I mean, technically I probably am 90% carnivore at this point, but I don't share my meals and go, guys, look, this is carnivore and there's an avocado on there or there's a piece of lettuce. I don't really even share my meals for this very reason, but I advocate for a carnivore diet, which is basically just animal products. And the only reason I, I keep hounding this in is because as beginners, there's just so much confusion. And I would say that most of my carnivore clients that have tried the fruit that have tried the honey generally do not do better 
and do not see better outcomes by adding that in. But it's these athletes and bigger accounts that do better with those things added, and they make it seem like everyone else will do better with it. And you can eat those things. Again, I have no issues. I, I love a lot of people who do eat that way, but I, I would appreciate it for the sake of confusion if they just call it like meat and fruit. Like, yeah. hey, I eat meat and fruit. And some of them do, and I respect that, and I appreciate that. I think also another label that's used a lot is ketovore or keto. I mean, like, obviously we know people who are keto. Um, that usually involves eating keto treats or eating more true keto macros. But I, I really like the definition ketovore, like own that. I think a lot of people long-term, I think ketovore is where people end up long-term. Most right. people aren't okay. going to stay 100% strict carnivore forever. Um, I think you could say I eat a predominantly carnivore diet. I'm ketovore. Like those are all places that most people end up long-term. I think a ketovore might include some vegetables occasionally. They might include some fruit dialing down the frequency on that, right? Like they might include avocados on a regular basis. Um, those are types of things that somebody who's a ketovore eats mostly meat. And then there's a few other things that they're going to include as well. And I know the majority of people in maintenance live there. Yeah. I, I and enjoy I'll, that. Agreed. I think a lot of my clients that eat ketovore, they add a little bit of nuts um, occasionally, and then there's a little bit of fruit, but if they eat the fruit, it'll be more closer to berries than to eat the sweeter fruits such as mangoes or grapes. Yes. And then occasionally they eat dark chocolate. So that would be the other one, but that, you're right. And then there's people that eat the keto treats, but I don't think a lot of my clients do, or they're just not telling me that they eat keto treats, but generally it's just lower carb foods that um, they want to add that are not just in the animal kingdom. And kind of as a side note, what are the vegetables that like I think the vegetables I hear about that cause people the least amount of issues are something like asparagus. Uh, I'm trying to think of other ones. So I, I As general- a side, okay, wait, let me tell you something. Pen- I, this is the weirdest thing ever. Penelope has been eating asparagus lately because we've had guests over a lot. So we grill asparagus usually when we have guests just because it's easy and usually a vegetable that even my keto people and people with digestive issues can eat. Penelope eats the entire asparagus except for the top. Like that's the best <laughs> part. I know so many people who only eat the tops of asparagus, but she literally, when she's done eating asparagus, there's a pile of tops on her. I'm like when I was a kid, I would only eat the tops. I'm like so confused by her law. By it's, I've never seen anybody with that preference. Sorry. That was a side note. No, no, no. It's, it's true. I mean, most people eat the top and not the the stem, um, but right. and that makes sense. But I mean, if she likes it, I don't think it's a big issue. Uh, Aiden, our, my youngest, he, I don't know if it's because I started him off as meat-based, but he hates vegetables. Like literally. Nathaniel too. No, he will pick out, like, you know, in a Asian soup, they'll have like the very thinly sliced onions. He will pick out every single onion. You know, before I used to go right on, you're a carnivore. But now I'm just like, come on, it's not going to kill you if you eat a small piece of onion because he's, he'll make our dinner last so much longer because he's picking out every single little spice or vegetable that's in his food. You have to tell him, Aiden, is this how you want to live your life? Come on, like (laughs) relax a little bit. Is this the life that you want to live, buddy? (laughs) It's so funny. But um, Okay, sorry, I interrupted you. So in terms of the vegetables, I mean, it's really nuanced. And that's where that whole Nutriment app or website comes in. But my general rule of thumb is if you have been diabetic, insulin resistant, had wonky numbers with your blood sugar, or you have a food addiction, especially to sweet foods or very rich, salty, carby foods, then I, I think the safest plant food to go for are leafy green vegetables. And I know that's so against what, for example, Paul Saladino would bring up, but I do think they're the least harmful. If you are trying to add back some type of plant-based food, I don't think fruits are the first one. I would actually argue it's the last thing that you should bring back. Mm-hmm. I know some people think it's like nature's fruit, but I mean, we have, we have episodes on that, but the fruit we eat these days are not the fruit that were around long ago. And also when people start craving other sugars, it's just not ideal. When I say leafy green vegetables, I guess asparagus can be one. I think there are some type of anti-nutrients in it. I can't remember off the top of my head. Obviously, spinach is really high in oxalates. So I would limit the plant-based foods that are high in oxalates. But I mean, I think steamed broccoli, steamed cabbage, 
uh, lettuce. I mean, it's really boring foods, but the logic is these lettuce and cabbage, for example, have very few nutrients. And so therefore they have very few anti-nutrients. I, I've been having so many conversations, I feel recently, because I started this new job and I've been traveling so much with all my new coworkers. Um, this week I went on this, you know, we called it a field trip to um, Midland, Texas to like, you know, tour all these like oil refineries and, um, you know, energy museums and stuff. So anyway, I'm traveling with all these new people. So I feel like it comes up like that I eat meat or I'm doing carnivore and in the most random ways too. So my boss's boss was there. And I didn't anyway, uh, so it was good to get to know her, but I would, we were all went to a baseball game as a team activity. And I had somebody come up and like, um, like say hi, like somebody from, you know, YouTube and stuff, like come up and say hi. And she was standing there. (laughs) So she, after the the girl walked away, she was like, what was all that about? And I was like, Oh, and all my coworkers jumped in there. Like, Oh my gosh, like, you don't even know. She has like YouTube with this whole thing and we're kind of filling her in. So anytime that happens, it then turns into like, oh, this is so interesting. Like, tell me about this. Like, what is a carnivore diet? What do you eat? So I, I say all that to say, I feel like I've been explaining what is a carnivore diet a whole lot. Like I've got my elevator pitch down at this point, but the first question that always comes back is, okay, I understand no carbs. I understand no processed foods. Like that is easy for people to understand where they get stuck is like, why, wait, why no vegetables? Like I understand no carbs and sugar, but why no vegetables? And I usually just start with like, mainly I just don't feel good eating them. Um, and nutritionally, I don't need them. Right. And I, and I always throw out there, like, I mean, look at broccoli, like broccoli is a man-made veg, like food. Like it's not something that's just, there's no wild broccoli. It's something that we've, you know, manufactured and genetically in, engineered essentially. And nobody really believes me until they Google it. And so I had somebody come back to me this week. And they were like, remember when you said that? I, I totally didn't believe you. And then I looked it up and I was like, holy cow, like broccoli's this in man-made invention. Yeah. It's so crazy. And so, you know, it turns into these conversations about how your body can't actually absorb the nutrients. Like, yeah, there's nutrients in vegetables, but if your body's not actually absorbing it, then all you're doing is kind of wasting it. And so it's just been, I don't know, we've had some very interesting conversations, like explaining to people who have no concept of like, what is a carnivore diet? like what I eat, why I do it in this very simple way. And it's just been really fun to kind of explain that. And I wish there was this agreed, cause this is all my version, right? And so what we're saying in this episode is really just, I wish there was this agreed upon version so that everybody was saying it my way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> like, but so now when, if say she's interested, right? This person that I was right. talking to, um, you know, one of the people I was talking to has like major health issues and she has thyroid issues. She has a lot of digestion issues, like a lot of health issues. She spent a long time being vegetarian because she thought she needed to do that for her health. And, you know, she's now back eating meat again because her body was malnourished before. And so she's, she now knows she's gluten. She has to be gluten-free. So she's like so close to like finding her way to a carnivore diet. We had this awesome conversation where I was kind of explaining why she might not need the vegetables. So now she's maybe going to be curious about it and go home and Google carnivore diet. And like, dear God, that's when it gets a little crazy. (laughs) You know, like if she just tries to go find out basic information about what is a carnivore diet, like I feel like I put some breadcrumbs out there and got her on this really good path to finding healing. And now I'm just concerned that like when people go to research it on their own, Cause when I say that all the time, like go do your own research, like figure out what works for you. Well, like, how are you ever supposed to start doing that? It's just so confusing right now. I agreed. Agreed. I mean, if she were to look up carnivore, I mean, the bigger accounts are the people that aren't eating carnivore anymore. So right. I, I completely understand one way that I would bring up why, because a lot of people will say that I, I get why we shouldn't eat gluten and carbs and, you know, the white foods, you know, you know that list of the sugar, flour, and What's the other one? Rice? No. What are the, do you know what I'm talking about? No. Sugar, flour, what in like for gluten? No. So uh, back in the day when people would say, oh, I'm on a diet that I don't eat all the white foods. Oh, oh. I think it's rice. Flou- flou- <laughs> I don't think it's rice. What foods are white? <laughs> I think it's sugar, flour, and there's one more. I don't know. 
Okay, anyway, so the way that I would, and then they would always say, but plants, really? Vegetables are not good for you, yeah. right? So that's always the thought. And I try to just explain it in a very simple way of, we all agree that the goal in every species life is to continue life. And everyone agrees to that, right? We, we care for our offspring, etc. Well, plants are literally stuck in the ground. So how do they protect themselves? Plants protect themselves with carrying toxins within their body. And and the way that I'll then further explain that is, well, you you know people with kidney stones, right? And if you look at the diet after a kidney stone removal diet, the list a lot of the, the hospitals will share is a low oxalate diet. They might not say it's low oxalates, right. but it is a low oxalate diet. They'll say no spinach, no almonds, no dark chocolate. Oxalates are an anti-nutrient. It's those specific foods that can exacerbate having a kidney stone. It can produce calcium crystals within the body. So then they get that part. Then I say, well, you know about gluten, right? Like gluten is no good for a lot of people. And so for people with celiacs, it's really bad. And so they understand that. And I was like, well, gluten is an anti-nutrient. And then um, if you read Dr. Steve Gundry's book, there's a book on lectins, right? Certain foods. And that book is really popular too. So then they'll go, okay. So then I say, well, if you understand all of that, we know that certain plants are not that ideal for us, right? We're not supposed to be just picking up a mushroom off the floor and eating it because some of them are poisonous. And so if we understand that, we know that there's a lot of plants that have toxins and even the plants we do eat, they have some level of toxins and we have to decide is that toxin okay enough for us to eat? And if you understand all of this, there's thousands of anti-nutrients in all types of plants. And so when you're not feeling well and you're eating these foods that anti-nutrients, basically they're defined that way because they're against nutrients, they're anti-nutrients. So what they do is they bind to your minerals, they bind to your nutrients so that the next time you eat it because you felt unwell or if the animal came and ate the plant, they got really sick. The lesson is I'm never gonna touch that plant again. And when I share it in that way, it makes a little bit more sense. Oh, okay. So maybe that's why just like gluten or just like oxalates or just like lectins, maybe that's why a broccoli that has like glucosinolates and a bunch of other things, maybe that's why it's not good. And And so like, think about all the tens and tens of thousands of plants that exist on the planet, hundreds of thousands of different species of plants. And yet there's only a very small handful of them that you actually can eat that aren't going to kill you. That's the TV show alone that they're like foraging (laughs) for berries and all this kind of, I'm telling you, it's the best. You have to let your kids watch this because it's such a good education for carnivores, (laughs) but they're always talking about like, oh, all these plants are toxic or somebody eats all these berries because they thought it was one kind of berry. And then it like makes them throw up because it was the wrong kind of berry or the wrong kind of moss that they're trying to eat or whatever. Yeah. Kevin and I always talk about, you know, there's always like, how did we decide that certain plants are dangerous? There had to be somebody that was the test taste tester, right? And that got sick, maybe even died back in the day. But even now they've modified, they've created these plants. Like a lot of them are ones now, like the ones that are the safest, that are most common that we eat in a grocery store. They're all the ones that we've created to be the safest to eat, which is so interesting. So I had said, like, I used the, the, the Laura version of that argument that I've gotten from you or that explanation, right? That plants don't want to be eaten. So they have anti-nutrients in them. And I had talked about that in my stories one day and I saved it to a highlight on my Instagram. Well, apparently some plant-based nutritionist found it somehow or whatever, and like turned it into a reel where she like had or TikTok or whatever, where she had me like saying that stuff behind her. And then she was just like totally trashing me and just talking about how like, yeah, it's the hormesis where like there's these anti-nutrients, but then your body's using it to get stronger and heal and blah, blah, blah. And meat's giving you cancer. And I never shared it because I didn't want to draw attention to her or whatever, but like, right. The same way that we use that argument to explain why you shouldn't be eating plants, the logic from the plant-based side of things can use the exact same logic to say why you should be eating plants, which is the whole other, like one of these episodes we could do like a vegan carnivore, but you know, like logic or whatever. I, it's just interesting how somebody can take, we can find data and research to support what we believe. And they're somehow finding data and research to support what they believe And I have always said that I feel like that the diet world is this, you know, horseshoe shaped where we are so much closer to somebody who's vegetarian or vegan than we are to somebody who was eating like I used to eat in the past. Right. right? And I said this to the woman who she was 
vegetarian because she was trying to heal her health with food. And she was using foods and cutting out specific foods in her diet to try to make her health better. And so at least she understood this concept of you can't just walk into the grocery store and eat all the junk that's like in the middle of these aisles. You have to use food for healing. Now, obviously we have very different ways of doing that and, and, and how we approach it, but we are still at least more understanding than like back in my day when I was living off of gas station food and fat and, you know, Chick-fil-A, like that person that I was has nothing in common with the carnivores or the vegans right, um, because right. I was just like eating myself sick. The argument that the that person said to you about the anti-nutrients and how it's hormesis, there's truth to that, right? So in the carnivore cure book, I talk about blueberries and how there's a level, it's toxic for the body. And because there's toxicity in a blueberry, that's why it forces our body to then produce glutathione. And that's an antioxidant because it's trying to support the body with a toxin. So the amount of glutathione that's released from eating blueberries is more than the toxin from the blueberries itself. So that's why it's a net positive or what they call that hormetic effect. But if you think about it, my argument to her would have been when we're eating, almost everybody eats a plant-based diet, right? We eat wheat, uh, we eat sugar, we eat flour, and we eat all these foods that are made from soy, corn, maybe corn was that, but that's not a white food anyways. But uh, you know, all of those foods. I'm trying to figure out what was it. Um, I mean, like I just call like, I mean, they're like the bread. People just say like, I don't need sugar, flour, bread, but like obviously bread's yeah. a sugar or a flour. I mean, but. Right. So all of those foods are plants. So we are, we are already plant-based, right? Everybody yeah. else other than carnivores are plant-based and it's even blueberries at a certain extent, if you eat too much, you will feel unwell. And it's same thing with exercise. Exercise, it has a hormetic effect saunas have a hormetic effect. It's that the good outweighs the bad and therefore it's beneficial. It's like how when you lift and you're tearing your muscle fibers, but then when you're growing them back, the muscle gets bigger. So the benefit is, but when we're plant-based and we're eating 90% of our food is plants at a certain point, the hormetic effect goes out the door and then it's a net negative. And that's, if people were healing on a plant-based diet and you don't hear too many of those, right? All the advocates are young and they're healthy at a young age. But when I interviewed Dr. Donald Lehman, he said, you're not going to meet many vegans that are in their sixties. And it makes sense because after a while it catches up to your body. And if you're not nourishing your body well enough, you're not going to be healthy. And it's, But let me say this about that too. The vegan diet has a very specific definition of are you vegan or aren't you vegan? You can't be vegan and then eat chicken occasionally and consider yourself a (laughs) vegan. And we consider that, but like that's considered dogmatic, but yeah, it's the definition of like what it is. Now you can be vegetarian and include some things, but also like, are you a vegan if you eat an egg one time, like accidentally eat an egg in a restaurant or something once? they might still consider you vegan, but if you're eating eggs every day, like you're no longer vegan. And the same thing applies to carnivore. And I think that's where like, again, I'm not trying to be dogmatic about it, but I want to be clear about what it is that we are advocating for, what it is that people need in order to find root cause healing. Where do you need to start? You need to start with a baseline of something. And it's about getting yourself to be like understanding, like what is a carnivore diet and then truly figure out what works for you. But I don't think you can do that without having an understanding of of giving it a good shot. I am saddened that people are saying, I tried carnivore and it didn't work for me. But like you said, they're doing it. You sound so dogmatic. I sound so dogmatic when I say this, but like they're doing it wrong. Like, but you are, <laughs> you're including fruits and you're drinking alcohol every day and you're doing all these other crazy things and you're having, you know, six mangoes a day. Like you're doing it wrong. I'm sorry. That's why it's not working for you. Like give it a shot in the truest definition of meat, eggs, some dairy, the end. Yeah. Or that they're eating just very lean proteins. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. And it makes me wonder like, what did the plant-based community do that made it work so well. Like we all know that if somebody eats eggs or honey, they are not vegan. They are vegetarian, right? We know that if a vegetarian includes some fish, then they're pescatarian. And then if they're mostly plants, they're plant-based. So how did they get such good handlings on the terminology? And I know some of it gets to um, certain people that coined all of these, but 
Yeah, but it's money and marketing, 100%. They have money and marketing and they make movies that define those things. And because this is where I think it gets frustrating from the carnival world, because there are products that can be sold that are labeling. That's why I do truly think keto blew up the way that it did, because there's, it's very easy to package products and make money in the keto space. The same thing for vegans. You need actual products that are labeled as vegans. You have to make things you need to make manufacture proteins in the carnivore space. If you're doing it in the simplest, purest forms, there is not a lot of products that you can sell or make that are going to be necessary on a carnivore diet. Yes. I love a good carnivore snacks and I have fun grills, but those are not necessary to be carnivore. Right. I don't need to supplement all of the vegan diet. There's just so much money behind it from like an industry standpoint. And the same thing with keto. That's truly why I think they got so big is because there's money to be made. And then their people are going to invest in defining it the way that they need it to be defined. No, that, and that makes sense. I also wonder though, and this is where I always go back to the leaders. um, But I wonder if there's no real strong carnivore authority or leader that's saying, Hey, carnivore community leadership, we need to band together and define carnivore as one. And we have one messaging. One thing that I noticed with the Ray Peak group, and I don't know how, I'm, I'm sure their uh, messaging has changed as it's become bigger. But one thing I noticed with the Ray Peak group when they were first infiltrating the carnivore community was that they were really good with their messaging. All of the leaders or the bigger names in their community were all saying the same thing about whether it was liver, whether it was about raw milk, whether it was about their orange juice or uh, all the other stuff that they eat. But everything was on par. They were all very friendly in the space. And I don't like who would we consider a leader in the space or, you know, do we have where we are all agreeing on the terminology? And I don't think we have that. And I think that so I including myself, I'll blame. Um, But I think that's part of the problem is that as leaders, we are not doing a good job bringing leadership. Well, I think of of all agreeing on the definitions of things and of all coming together. And I think it's because there's too much competition where people are trying to set themselves apart to to niche themselves, to be able to capitalize on a market, on a market share, right? There's limited market space, I think is, is, Maybe this unwritten mindset, like there's only a certain, I mean, it's ridiculous because there's so many people that are sick and unhealthy and need, and need help in order to, um, to regain their health. But I think everybody has to try to find their own specific niche. And it's, it's, that's why I think we've created so many different messages. Yeah. I mean, that just saddens me as a practitioner because there are so many people that are sick and if we try to create these niches just to have a brand or prestige, but what about the people behind it? Right. So that's the part that just saddens me and I get it. I mean, I created the carnivore cures elimination protocol, but I did that so that I'm, my goal is hopefully that we can get it into the medical literature and, and to have a protocol that they can say works to help with gut health. And, and I'm, I am working on things like that behind the scenes, but I didn't do it just guys look at me. I created this elimination protocol. Like I do not even care about stuff like that. It's just, it saddens me because when we, if I I think of when I joined, when my mom and dad joined, and if it was, if they joined now, or if I joined now, would we have had the healing we've had? And then I think about all the people that are joining now and how much people are missing the boat because there's so much information that goes every which way. And it becomes so confusing. And it just makes me sad as a practitioner. Yeah. I'm definitely the biggest advocate for do what works for you. And you have to figure out how to live your life in a realistic, sustainable way for you long-term. But like, call it what it is. Like, call it, I don't eat carbs, or I stay away from plants, or I do this, or I eat meat and fruit, or I eat mostly meat and a couple other things. Like, call it what it is so that we can keep this definition of like, what is a carnivore diet? an entry level point for people to find healing. Yeah. Agreed. I I will say that as leaders or people in the space, you know, I will do a better job to share messaging that will help people get better. Thanks guys. Thanks for tuning in to the cutting against the grain podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. <laughs>